And while you turn, consider some of these slogans from the insurance agent uh, industry. And I know we have some former insurance employees here. See if you can pick up on some of these and really get a sense for how they touch on uh, kind of a universal human desire for security and especially security about the future. We like this, don't we? We like to have certainty about the future. We've got you under our wing. You heard this? Give you a guess as to which one that is with a bird. Uh, if I said nationwide, what would you say? You know this one, yes. All state, you're in good hands, right? Think about these. We're on your side. We've got you under our wing. You're in good hands, like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. A German insurance agency or uh, company called Allianz is for all that's ahead. Uh, some other ones you may or may not have heard of. Uh, insurance against regret. It's a bold claim. Pacific Life, the power to help you succeed. Let prudential be your rock. Think about these. It's interesting because many of these things that these insurance companies advertise that maybe they claim for themselves to whatever degree, God actually claims for himself, doesn't he? God takes his own under his wing. God is for us. God holds us in his hands. Jesus really lays emphasis on this. God is the everlasting rock. When it comes to walking the long road of obedience, we need not better insurance, but greater faith, right? This letter, 2 Thessalonians, as we come to the end of it, it's hard to believe. This letter at its most basic, I think you could say, is about God's glory through his people, especially to show how a church, a young, fledgling church, grows in God's grace. It's very clear as Paul writes this letter that this church was meeting challenges introduced by sin that it had to meet and it had to overcome by God's grace. And as we've studied through both of these letters over the last two years, especially the second letter, you see some of these coming up. We've reviewed from Acts 17 the pressure they faced from very early on, the pressure of persecution. And Paul deals with that in both letters. But that really is arising from sin. It's from sinful people. It's from the devil trying to, to squash God's work and trying to really kill an apostle who was starting God's work. They had, to, they had to overcome this, but they couldn't do it by themselves. They needed God's grace. In the second letter in chapter 2, he's, Paul's writing and dealing with uh, an error in teaching about the day of the Lord and whether or not this was someone teaching something false as a wolf or someone just misguided, whatever the exact situation was, this is a problem and it's leading to bad effects on God's people, and they've got to overcome this challenge by God's grace, and they're growing. It's a church feeling growing pains. And then finally, in chapter three, Paul is dealing with, you've been with us the last few weeks, an issue you might not expect, but an issue of idleness, and really an issue as you read through the books. You see it's been there, it seems, all along, and Paul has hinted at it and addressed it indirectly, and then very directly addressed it and said, you need to deal with this because it's bringing disorder to the church. But these are these are challenges from sin and they need to meet them with God's help. And we realize as we study this church in the early uh years after Jesus left the earth after he had risen from the dead 
sin presents every church with challenges, which really would mute God's glory if handled improperly. If, if we're not dealing with the challenges that sin presents us, we're, we're going to be something other than what God has called us to be. And we're not going to be giving God glory as we should. We've seen that each challenge that a church meets with God's grace is an opportunity for it to glorify God as it's relying on the Lord. As Paul closes this letter, he's dealt with, we looked last week, church discipline. He's given them instructions as to how to deal with those who may not heed his instructions. Finally, he closes and he prays that Christ would bless his people as they look to him. It's good for us to remember that this church is dealing with a great deal of pressure that is showing no signs of letting up. Paul had to leave, but these people had to stay. They couldn't just uproot and all of them abandon the city. They're there and the pressure is there and who knows when it's going to go away. And in the midst of their ongoing persecution and in the wake of dealing with any false teaching and its lingering effects and in the process of dealing with those who were disorderly in the church, that's really quite a lot for them to do. It's pressure and it's not going away and it could weigh them down. They need a source of strength and help that exceeds their own national capacity, don't they? They don't need insurance for all that's ahead. They need Christ. They need to look to Christ. That's really the drift of this prayer. Look in verse 16, 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Now, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Have you ever been in a place where there's no light at the end of the tunnel for you? You feel like you're facing something that you don't know when it's going to let up. Maybe never. It could be work. It could be your kids. It could be your spouse. It could be something financial. You just can't fix it. And you have this long road of obedience that you don't know how long it is. Can I do it? I don't feel like I can. You can't do much to change your circumstances. How can you go on faithful to the Lord? You need Christ. Because in Christ, you have assurance of all God's blessings. We've sung about grace tonight. And it's God's grace shown to us through Christ. What does Christ afford those to those who look to him? I think we could see this in four ways tonight. He gives peace. May the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace. He assures us of his presence. The Lord be with you all. There's kind of this incidental comment here in the middle, but it's a reminder that we have God's self-revelation in our hands. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. But not just peace from the Lord of peace, the presence of God and really God's revelation, guaranteed, authenticated, pure, but finally the grace of our master and our savior, Jesus Christ. So I want you to see first 
What riches does Christ afford to those who look to him? Christ affords comprehensive peace. And I use that word intentionally because we've talked about insurance. You know, do you have comprehensive insurance? Christ affords comprehensive peace. And it's peace coming from his own perfection. It's from who he is. Now, may the Lord of peace. And it's not in English, but in the Greek, it's literally the Lord of the peace himself. Continue, continually grant you the peace in every circumstance. He is Lord of peace. He's the master and he is God. This title is often the God of peace. And you see here how he says, now may the Lord of peace. There's a little bit of a contrast here in, in light of the circumstances that you're facing, the potential for disunity, you're dealing with a problem in the church and it might take time and it might take courage and it might take patience. Now you really need this. You might have a propensity towards something other than peace. But the one giving peace is the Lord of peace. He's giving it from who he is, who Christ is in himself. He is toward you in your need. Any perfection you see in him, he overflows towards you, Christian. What kind of peace does the master of peace give if you think of this title, maybe as you've read fiction books, the title that comes to my to my mind is the Lady of the Wood, you know, the, the one who is over this, the Lord of the Peace. How is this for a ruler over this domain? Of course, he's a king. He can give international military peace, countries toward each other, right? He can, as the Lord of uh, nature, he can say, peace, be still. And there's physical peace. Nature is at rest. He can give a church situational peace, circumstantial peace, kind of on the outside towards those outside of the body. But really, God himself can give relational peace, can't he? As he's changing people and setting them in right relationship to each other. And this is most evident where? In the church, as God sets people at peace with himself. Through Christ. And I believe this is the peace, the famous peace of Christ, eternal spiritual peace towards God through Christ. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because we have peace with God, we can be at peace in our own hearts, can't we? Peace in our own soul to the level of really our core, toward our circumstances, towards our standing with God. We can have peace. It's really the peace of a heart that can say, like the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 4. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound in peace. I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me to dwell in safety. There's just rest here when you know you're in the hands of God and he is for you. It's really what most people want, but most people don't realize Christ affords them when they come to him. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. 
do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And again, a few minutes later, there in the upper room, he says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. It's not the absence of all the bad things that are going to happen to you. But take courage, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. He's giving peace out of who he is. He is the Lord of the peace, peace with God that gives us peace in our souls. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And this is peace that never runs out for anyone, Paul says. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance or through everything grant you peace. It never fails in any circumstance at any time. This is peace that won't fail for those facing persecution. Why would facing persecution bring you to a point where you're not at peace and you're not at rest? Well, because you feel like God has rejected you perhaps. And those who are persecuting think that God has rejected you because they hate you. But you know you're at peace with God. This is a peace that will abide for those who have been rattled by false teaching. No, the truth is still true. And Christ is coming again. And every eye will see him. And he will bring us to him. This is a peace that won't falter for those who are discouraged with the idol. Or weary with someone's unwillingness to follow. Or someone who's sorrowful or over those who are slow to obey the Lord, as some in this church may be. Paul, how can I go on? How can I be at peace in my heart when I'm having to deal with the same problem again and again? God will keep on granting you peace as you look to him through everything. May he himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance or in every way. This is peace for all kinds of pressure. They need this, especially when peace would seem to be crumbling in the church. The devil loves to sow discord, doesn't he? What does Paul say? Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The the unity the Spirit has created in the bond of peace among you, brothers. Be eager to maintain that. Why? Because it's it's a fragile thing, but it's a most precious thing that we can lose. And the devil would love to disrupt. And there are seeds of disunity in this church. But rather, they need God's help to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And it is interesting to consider if you look through Christ's life and look at each stage of his life and think about the fact that Christ, the Lord of peace, he had peace his whole life. He was never not at peace So how can you have this kind of enduring, multifaceted peace? I think here, right, as Paul prays for it, we can say, pray for the peace of God. Paul is asking, may the Lord of peace himself grant you peace in every circumstance. Pray for it for yourself. Pray for it for one another. Ask for peace in your heart about circumstances, about relationships, about pressures, about responsibilities, about persecution. And what you'll find is that Christ will provide it by giving you more of himself. That's really where Paul goes next. How? 
the Lord himself be with you all. Christ, of course, is the wisdom of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he is the word of God. And when you have God's wisdom and when you have God's word, you have God's peace, don't you? Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Psalm 119, 165 says. Those who have wisdom are, are, are at rest, Proverbs says. So pursue Christ in your life to have the peace of Christ. And when you find him, you will find his peace, which will never run out in any circumstance. So Christ himself, he is peace. This is part of his glory, and he gives peace to his people out of the greatness of his perfection. This is how you can go on when your circumstances would overwhelm you and, and unsettle you. It's when you have Christ, so per- pursue him and treasure him. But again, notice how he gives peace. Christ assures divine presence. The Lord be with you all. And this really has been the the treasure and the identifying mark of God's people all through history. And we heard some about it this morning. God appeared to Abraham and and said, do not fear. I am with you. It was at the tabernacle in the temple that God met with his people. And this was the glory of Israel, that God came and communed with his people. God told Joshua, we read it this evening, don't be afraid. Do not be dismayed. I am with you. What did Jesus say before he left this earth? Go and preach the gospel, make disciples, and lo, I am with you. Even to the end of the age. God is not aloof from his people. He is near to us. He identifies with us. And this gives us not just peace, but help and security and hope and healing. I thought of a a song this week based on Isaiah 43. And I want to read these words to you because they're beautiful, sweet, tender words that God gives to his people. Isaiah chapter 43, you can turn there if you like. This is a precious passage for many of God's people. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. Now thus says the the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored, and I love you. I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. This is the the treasure of God's people. It's what has identified God's people through all of history is that he is with them. But then you see as you read the Old Testament and as you get into the New that Christ is the presence of God with his people. Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Of course, Christ became a man to dwell with men. He he tented with men, and he puts his spirit within us. And he promised that as he left. So trust in the Lord. Remember his presence with you and in you. Believe his word to help you in all things. Trust that his spirit does dwell within you if you're in Christ. And remember that, like the priests used to say to the people of Israel, God gives his peace by his presence. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. It's God's highest blessings on his people that he gives peace through Christ and that Christ dwells with his people. Then there's this interesting note here. Before Paul really finally closes his letter, he adds this word of authenticity to what he's written. And that really, too, when you think about it, it's a blessing to us that we have. Christ, you could say, secures reliable revelation. He God, of course, breathed out his word. All scripture is breathed out by God. And he did it through messengers. No prophecy was of private interpretation, 2 Peter 1 says, but holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God breathed out his word. He used men. But God even, at times, is authenticating his word at the hand of his messengers. Paul often, you may have heard just a historical note, Paul often had a, a, what's called an amanuensis, writing for him as he spoke. There were scribes by trade. Some have suggested probably many of those in the church who were saved in Romans chapter 16. Tertius, who was one of Paul's uh, scribes at a certain time, actually gets to sign his name in scripture. He's the one who wrote as Paul evidently spoke. And Paul often takes pains to authenticate his letters. You could look in 1 Corinthians 16, Galatians 6, it seems like what he's doing there. He does in Colossians, he does in Philemon, it seems. And it might not seem significant to us to have a letter authenticated. You know, we you have two-factor authentication. You know, you get a you get a text on your phone and it's like, okay, put this in. You know you're maybe some of us deal in this world, but okay, I'm protecting myself from hackers or who knows what I'm doing. That's not the world you're in. But when you think about this, this is different. This isn't just an email. This isn't just remembering your password. This is God's revelation. God authenticated this. The devil loves to sow lies and counterfeits among everything that's true and genuine, doesn't he? God knows this. Paul evidently knew this. He knew the danger, and in God's wisdom, he protected against this. Perhaps there were those in the church who were claiming to be speaking for Paul. And here Paul is kind of heading some things off at the pass and saying, if you're receiving a letter from me, you in Thessalonica, that doesn't have whatever it was, maybe my sloppy handwriting or Paul wrote real big letters, it seems. Something that really marked it as this is from Paul. If you're getting a letter that claims to be from me and it doesn't have that, you better give it the stink eye. God did this in his providence, and he's preserving his word. God saw it gathered into into a a complete whole that we have today. That took remarkable providence. But what is this? 
it's just a reminder to us that what we have in our hands, it's authoritative, divine revelation. God's self-revelation for us, for everyone, for all time. And it really is a remarkable thing that we have. The very words of God in our hands. And that God has spoken to us and that we can hear him and heed him. And it's mighty to change you. The word of God is living and active. And God uses it for his own purpose every time that it's spread. It's God's word to you, and it's reliable. You can stake your life on it. There's no flaw in it. If this weren't the word of God, if this were just any book, number one, we probably wouldn't be here studying it. But number two, we could disregard it, couldn't couldn't we? There are times when I'm reading a book and I come across an idea with maybe an author that I respect and I'm really wrestling with it. And it's like, you know, I really think I disregard that. Or I really think I disagree with that. And I think, man, if I'm going to disagree with this person, I better be really sure. But then I find myself thinking, the more I compare it with scripture and I realize, you know, this person is not God. I'm allowed to disagree with this person. And this may or may not happen often. I am not really even have anybody in mind. But when I'm reading this book, I can never do that. God did give it. I can't discard it. So if it is the word of God, and it is, we must heed it. We must pay it attention. We must show it allegiance. We must yield to it in obedience. This is the word from the king. And he has all authority. But it's reliable. And that's a precious treasure that we have And a reminder here in Paul's distinctive writing that that church received. In Christ, we have God's highest blessings. For in him and through him, we have peace. We have the very presence of God with us. And we have reliable revelation. But finally, Christ provides inexhaustible grace. The grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And here I want to point out two aspects of who Christ is, who is giving grace. He is a gracious ruler, the grace of the Lord of us. Jesus Christ, he's a king, he's a priest king. Hebrews 4.16, writing with that image of Christ the priest, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may have received mercy and find grace to help in time of need. His very throne is a throne of grace, not a throne of wrath for those who are his own. There is a throne of wrath and judgment coming. But if you're in Christ, you don't face that because your sin has been judged in this priest, king. He is this way this kind of king, this kind of master, this Lord, a gracious ruler, because this is who he was and is as a savior, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's a gracious redeemer. And he really is the rightful master because he is the only savior. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty 
might become rich. This is a grace that condescends to us when we were not seeking it, and it raises us up to life, an everlasting life. He's a gracious ruler who purchased his subjects at great cost to himself. It was the cost of his own life. It was because he loved us. So he's not a a, a despot to, to be avoided, but a king to be loved and praised. And this is grace not only to save, but grace for suffering, grace for service, grace for endurance, grace in times of waiting, grace in times of uncertainty. He is gracious. So what should we do? We should look to Christ. I was reminded this week, he helps those who look to him. This isn't a God who helps those who help themselves, right? This is a very American idea. We really like the idea of a self-made person, right? We even say this sometimes. You're not helpless. You can do it yourself. And of course, we need to learn this as young children. But Christ does look those, help those who look to him. These are the blessings that you have in him when you look to him. So are you in good hands? Is the Lord on your side? Do you know that you have everything you need for what's ahead? In Christ, brothers and sisters, you have full assurance of God's highest blessings. And we need it, don't we? All of us. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May the Lord help us to look to Christ for peace and for the reminder that he is with us and for the grace that we need to go on in obedience to him. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you that you are full of goodness and you are great. You are all of these things to the infinite. Like Pastor said, it really is, we we know it now, but we will never know the depths of it. But what little we do know when we've, it seems, just dipped our toes in the edge of the ocean, it is a magnificent thing. The blessings that you've given us, Lord, in Christ. I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on him. Give us comfort in our hearts. Give us peace and give us your grace to obey you. Lord, whatever whatever circumstance, whatever pressure we're in, we need your help. And sometimes we need to reorient away from our own resources and remember that you have inexhaustible resources. And if we would just humble ourselves and depend on you, you, you are... So glad to give us what we need. 
help us to endure, help us to obey. We pray in Christ's name.